Do you remember from the last two weeks what is the theme of Paul's two letters to the believers in Thessalonica. Do you remember? I've talked about it for the last two Sundays. He keeps coming back to this message and saying this one thing to them. What is it? Shout it out if you know. It is that. There you go. You got it. Jesus is coming back. Some of you were brave enough to shout it out. Thank you. Jesus is coming again. That's his repeated message in all eight chapters of these two letters to the Thessalonians. And we believe that, don't we? We agree with Paul that Jesus is, in fact, coming back to the earth one day. And I believe, and I think you would agree with this, most of you would anyway, I believe that we are living in the days just prior to the Lord's return. I I think we're living uh, right near the return of Jesus. I think there's a lot of uh, biblical evidence that that's the case. I think there's a lot of geopolitical events that are taking place that seem to be aligning the nations of the world. I think if you look at Israel, God's time clock, and watch what's happening there, um, I think there are a lot of reasons that we can say we're living in the days just before the Lord returns. And while we are excited about that, we also must acknowledge that as we get nearer and nearer the return of Jesus, we are going to see an ever-increasing assault on biblical Christianity. In fact, it's already happening all over the world right now. I want to say that again. Listen carefully. The nearer we get to the appearing of Jesus Christ, the more severe will become the assault on biblical Christianity. Christians today, all over the world, face scrutiny and um, they face uh, even persecution for believing and adhering to and proclaiming and obeying the Bible. And with the more, more and more passing of time, you will, be become, uh, you will become considered more and more a dinosaur, someone who's out of touch If you say, I am a man or a woman of the book, I believe the Bible. I build my life on the truths of Scripture, and I trust that what the Bible says is true. That will marginalize you more and more and more as we approach the coming of the Lord. This has been the case for many years in many parts of the world. Uh, There are places around the world, many uh, Asian nations, uh, many uh, Eastern nations, Um, certainly in many Muslim nations, this has been the case. But in recent history, it's becoming the case more and more in the Western part of the world. In many countries in Europe now, Christianity is under attack. Uh, in, In Canada, our neighbor to the north, Christianity is absolutely under assault. In Australia, it's becoming more and more difficult to align your life with the scriptures, and more and more and more, this is becoming and will become more and more true here in America even. Now listen, while all of that's true, we shouldn't be surprised by it. Because the Bible warned us that the last days were going to be like this. In fact, let me show it to you. Hold your finger in 1 Thessalonians 2 and go over to the book of 2 Timothy. It's just a few pages forward, literally four or five pages, you'll be in it. 2 Timothy Look at chapter number 3. 
2 Timothy 3, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy about the last days, beginning in verse 1. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous or difficult times will come. For in those days men shall be lovers of their own selves. They will be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. There will be a a spirit of rebellion in the land. People will be unthankful. They will be unholy. They will be without natural affection, which, which manifests itself. This unnatural affection manifests itself in a number of different ways, from abortion to homosexuality and beyond. Truce breakers, false accusers, out of control, incontinent, living without control, fierce, despisers of those that are good. They will be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. What Paul is warning Timothy of is that in the last days, the culture crisis will be that there will be this spirit of antichrist on the land, this spirit of rebellion and arrogance and unthankfulness and unholiness and unnatural affection. All of this will mark the last days. So we shouldn't be surprised. But if you'll go to chapter 4, listen to this warning, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1, Paul says, In those days, Timothy, I want you to keep preaching the word. Verse number 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be faithful in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, now watch this warning. Paul says to Timothy, in the last days, the culture crisis is going to invade the church. It's going to seep into the church. So the word, the truth of God, will be rejected by the culture. But in chapter 4, he says, Timothy, you got to keep preaching the truth because it's even going to be rejected within the church. Within Christendom, the church is going to begin to say, I don't want to hear the truth. I want to heap to myself, gather around me people who will tell me what I want to hear. Heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Paul also, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, warned about this spiraling uh, degeneracy that would happen in the world, that was happening in his day and would increase in the last days, where that he says that men would, listen to this, profess themselves to be wise. And professing themselves to be wise, they would then uh, become fools. And that professing themselves to be wise and becoming fools, they would cease to worship God and they would begin to worship themselves and worship the creature, the created one, more than they would worship the creator. Now taken together, Paul's letters warn that in the last days there will be this arrogant, prideful, smug self-sufficiency among the people which will say, I do not need God, I can be my own God, my own king, live the way I want to and I will reject God's truth and that that would seep into the church. In fact, let me read to you, you don't have to turn, let me read from Isaiah chapter number 5 where Isaiah warned about this very thing as well. Listen to verse number 20. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good 
and good evil. Woe unto them that say what God says is good, that's actually evil, and what God says is evil, no, that's actually good. Woe unto them that put darkness or exchange darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe unto them that exchange bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Isaiah warned about it. Paul warned about it. These days in which we're living where what is evil will be elevated and celebrated and what is good will be rejected and called silly and worthless and old-fashioned and outdated and irrelevant. Where what God says is light, walk this way. People would say, that's no longer good. We're going to walk in darkness and we'll call the darkness light. Paul said, these are the days, the things that will mark the last days. And let me just ask you a question. Does that sound like the days in which we're living right now? Absolutely it does. So what the Bible tells us, back to, to uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, what the Bible tells us is that this is what the last days will be like. And more and more, loved ones, more and more, As we live to the coming of the Lord, we are going to see Christians, you and me and our brothers and our sisters, we are going to see Christians pressed and pressured to abandon biblical truth, to abandon biblical morality, to abandon a biblical worldview or biblical values and simply adopt the thinking of the world. That's already happening. It's happening to you. It's happening in your job for some of you. It's happening in our schools. It's happening on the university campuses. It's happening in some of our, in, in some of our homes where we're essentially told, look, what, that, that believing the Bible, just be quiet about that and celebrate what the world says is worth celebrating. In these days, when a Christian speaks truth, even in love, and by the way, if you speak truth, you ought to always speak it in love. But even when spoken in love, when a Christian speaks Bible truth, that Christian is oftentimes accused of hate speech. And when a follower of Christ, a Bible believer, advocates for biblical morality that is considered emotional abuse. And we ought to simply comply with the world. You may have already been ridiculed. You may have already been threatened. You may have already been canceled by some for your views on the word of God. And so my question to you today is really simple. With all of this being said, all of this being the truth, in these days before the Lord comes, are you going to stay with the word. Are you going to be a dinosaur in the eyes of the world? And are you going to believe and stand upon and obey and stand for the truths of the word of God? I hope you will. By the way, does the name Micaiah mean anything to you? The the Bible name Micaiah? He was a prophet. He wasn't a prophet on the scale of an Isaiah or an Ezekiel. Maybe you've heard his name. He was a prophet uh, in the time of King Ahab. And he was in his day being pressured 
to simply not say what the Lord said, but to say what everybody else was saying. He was feeling the pressure that a lot of us feel today. Just be quiet about all that stuff. Just say the nice, just be nice and say everything's okay. In fact, the Bible tells us what his response was to that in 1 Kings 22 and verse number 14. Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I will speak whatever the Lord tells me. Well, amen, Micaiah. Under all of that pressure to to simply go with the party line, to simply agree with everybody else and not give any bad news about God and his truth and his judgment, about morality and sin and right, just say what everybody else says and abandon that. Micaiah said, no way. As the Lord lives, I will say what the Lord says. Now I want to tell you something. This is your Micaiah moment. The day in which we're living is your Micaiah moment. In fact, I hope you'll write that down and never forget it. You'll kind of go out of here going, man, Lord, I want to be a Micaiah. This is my moment. When the world is pressuring This is my moment to stand on the word of God. And I hope you will. We're going to read about this in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians, beginning in uh, verse number 11 of chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 11. Only going to read three verses today. You follow along as I read. Verse number 11 says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his children, That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and his glory. For this cause we thank God without ceasing. Because when you received or you heard the word of God uh, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectively or effectually works also in you that believe. Now, I want you to begin with me today by noticing what Paul points out in this passage about the call of the Christian life. I want to to talk through this with you for just a minute. The call of the Christian life. He talks about this call in verse number 12 when he says, he speaks of the God who called you. Do you see it, verse 12? He called you unto his kingdom and his glory. Now, I want to dispel a myth that some of you maybe are wrongly believing, and it's this. Some of you might believe that Jesus came from heaven to the earth simply to take us from the earth to heaven. That's what it was all about. He came and died and rose only so that we could go to heaven when we die. That's not true. Now, he did come so that we could go to heaven. But that was not the reason or the the only reason that he came. Here's why Jesus came. He came from heaven to earth to bring heaven down to earth. He came to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. Now, this kingdom is eternal, and it is spiritual, and one day it will be physical and literal, and it will last forever, but it is operational in the world today. In fact, you know, if you read the, the, uh, the red letters in your four Gospels, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, if you read the preaching of Jesus, do you know that he often mentions in his preaching the kingdom, that he came to bring 
the kingdom. The very first sermon that Jesus ever delivered when he began his ministry is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And the very first words out of his mouth in the very first sermon that he came to deliver were these. You ready? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the first thing that Jesus said about his ministry. By the way, he picked that message up from John the Baptist because John had already been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said he came to bring a kingdom. And then in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he delivered the greatest sermon that he ever uh, preached, which was the Sermon on the Mount. And if you know the Sermon on the Mount, you know that that sermon is all about the character of the kingdom. He said, this is how we live in the kingdom, right? He said, in the world, here's the way you live. Somebody hates you, you hate them. But in the kingdom, we don't live that way. In the kingdom, we love our enemies. Uh, you've heard it said that in the world that you, should, uh, that you should be unkind to people who are unkind to you. But in the kingdom, we're going to live differently. In the kingdom, we're going to be kind to people that are unkind to us, right? So it's all about the character of the kingdom. And then in John chapter number 18, Jesus is standing shackled before Pilate, the Roman governor, And the accusation that has been brought against him by the religious leaders of the Jews is he made himself a king. And so as Jesus stands there, Pilate says to him, are you a king? And he says, thou hast said. Here's what he means. You betcha. You're right. I am a king. But then he goes on to say, but my kingdom is not of this world. Because if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. So Jesus came preaching a kingdom. He told us the character of the kingdom. He affirmed that he was a kingdom, and he died and rose in order to establish that kingdom. Now, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 12, if you are a Christian, you have been called into that kingdom. Notice at verse number 12, he says, the God who has called you into his kingdom. The Greek word that's translated called is the word kaleo, and it means to summon, to come alongside. So it would be like, I'm looking back in the back. If I looked to the back row and I said, hey, Matt, don't do it, Matt. I'm just illustrating. If I said, hey, Matt, kaleo, come up here. I would be inviting Matt to leave where he is and come to be with me. If y'all are listening, shout amen. This is amazing grace. That the God of heaven, the maker of all things, the Lord of everything, the perfect God upon his throne, sent his son Jesus to die and rise to create a kingdom so that he could then look down from heaven and say to you and me, hey, you sinner, living in your rebellion and in your darkness and in your death, kaleo, come and be in my kingdom and live forever. Somebody ought to praise God for the fact that that's his mercy, right? To be, in the, to be a Christian means that we've been called into his kingdom. And interestingly, the, the word for church, the, the word in the New Testament for church is, has the same root word as kaleo, it's ekklesia, and it means the ones who have been called out. He has called us out of the world into his kingdom, and the church is the called out ones. In fact, this is what we are in this assembly this morning. Write it down. The local church is the assembly of those who have been called. That's what we are. 
Listen, we're not the assembly of people who like the same kind of worship music. I mean, we might be, but that's not what defines us. We're not the assembly of people who share the same creed or beliefs. I mean, we do, but that's not what defines us. We're not even people who have the same political views. Maybe we do in many cases, but that's not what defines us. Let me tell you why we're together. Because you've been called out, and I've been called out out of the world into his kingdom. And he says, I want those in my kingdom to assemble as the called out ones. Now, if you'll realize that, it'll make you appreciate this gathering more often. When you're walking in next to somebody, you're rubbing shoulders with some others who have been called out of the world, other grace recipients. So he says in verse number 12, this God who has called you into his kingdom. So let me answer a couple of questions about this kingdom call for just a minute. First question, first of all, how does he call? If every Christian has been called out of the world and into his kingdom, what does that call look like? How do we get the call? Well, turn back one page. 1 Thessalonians 1, look at verse number 5. We read it a couple of weeks ago. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost with much conviction or with much assurance. How does the call come to someone who is in the world and they're being kaleo, being called by God into the church, into the kingdom? The call comes in the preaching of the gospel through the word. That, that's, how, that's how it's shared. Through, through somebody sharing with that person the gospel. This is what happened to me the night that I got saved. This is what happened to you when you got saved as well. You heard the gospel from somebody. It may have been your mom or your dad or your grandparents or Billy Graham or your pastor. I don't know. But somebody shared the gospel with you. And that gospel became a call that would bring you into the kingdom. I went to a church service one night when I was 16 years old. I wasn't seeking. I wasn't on a spiritual journey. I was simply invited by a friend to go. He said, hey, why don't you come with me? I said, okay, I'll go. I went, sat with him, had no particular expectation, no real interest, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, and I was just hearing this guy preach like I'm doing now. But unbeknownst to me, the Holy Spirit, as chapter 1, verse 5 describes, with power and conviction began to convince me that what that preacher was saying was true. And suddenly, I was like a big mouth bass. Now, I was a big mouth teenager, but I was like a big mouth bass. The word, the gospel, hooked me and began to draw me. And the Holy Spirit was reeling me in so that by the time we got to the end of that service, I believed what he said and the gospel call had been made and I answered it by his grace. That's the way it works. That's what happened to you. Maybe a different place, different situation, different age, different circumstance, but the gospel came to you and you believed it if in fact you have answered the call. Let me read to you from 1 Peter. You can turn if you'd like to. It's just a few pages forward, right after the book of Hebrews and the book of James. Listen to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 23. He says, We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. We have been born again by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. How did I answer the call and how did I come into the kingdom? 
Because the word of God was planted in my heart and it gave uh, fruit. It bore fruit. And it lives and abides forever. Look at chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, or God's uh, peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How does the gospel call come? It comes through the preaching or the sharing or the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. We hear it, we believe it, the word of God bears fruit. And the call is made. Second question about the call is, what exactly are we called to? Well, look in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, and he'll tell you. Here's what we're called to. He says in verse number 12, that you would walk worthy, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and his glory. That's what you've been called to. You've been called unto his kingdom and his glory. I just read to you in Peter, second, uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, where he says he has called you out of darkness and into light. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But when the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12 that we have been called into his kingdom, let me tell you what that means. It means that you have a king. In fact, the word kingdom means where the reign of Jesus extends. If you've come into his kingdom, his authority, his kingship reigns over your life. Do you know who was king in my life before I came to Jesus? Me. Well, my mom and dad tried to be, but I was at the age where I was rebelling against them. I was the king. That meant that I did what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. Whatever brought me pleasure... Whatever made me happy, that's what I did. I was the king. He says, when you come to Christ, you're coming into a kingdom. You don't get to be boss in your life anymore. You have a king, and you're not him. His name is Jesus. He says, you've come into a kingdom, and you have come into his kingdom and his glory. That means that when you come to Christ, you answer his call into the kingdom. It means that you come under the kingship of Jesus and your first priority and your greatest privilege is the glory of Jesus Christ. So no longer I do what pleases me. No longer am I to do what makes me happy. No longer am I to do what makes my life easy and content and happy. Now my king is first and I am to live in a way that brings him glory. And nothing matters more than that. That's the kingdom. You say, well, I'm I'm not sure I want that. I'm not sure I want Jesus telling me what to do. And I always have to put his wants before mine. Well, I mean, it's up to you. If you want to be his, that's the deal. That's the kingdom. And every person who has answered the call has come into that kingdom. Now, we don't always live like it. But we need to remember it and we need to repent when we're not and surrender to his authority and for his glory. One last thing about this call just quickly is to answer the question, how do we answer the call? If he he calls people into his kingdom so that he can be our king and we can live for his glory out of darkness and into light, he calls us through the preaching of the gospel and the word bearing fruit in our lives, how do I answer 
I mean, maybe you're saying, I want that. How, how, do I, how do I answer the call? Well, look at verse number 13. He says, for this cause we thank God for you that without ceasing, because when you heard the word from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. Well, how do I receive it? I re- how do I answer the call? By believing the gospel. By simply choosing to trust in the gospel. And it's a, it's a volitional choice of my will. I've heard it, I believe it, and now I want to receive it. I want to trust in it. And when we answer the call into the kingdom, then we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom, as Peter said, of the marvelous light or the kingdom of his dear son. And I just want to say, can I just testify? I'm grateful that I answered the call. I'm grateful that he made the call and that I have the blessing and the privilege of living in his kingdom now. Now, that's the call in verse number 12, this call of the Christian life. I, I wonder if you've answered the call. I hope you have. Secondly, though, Paul talks to us about the challenge for the called ones. Because for every person who responds to that call, he then says, now here's the challenge of living in the kingdom. Look at it. He says it in verses number 11 and 12. As you know how we uh, exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as the Father does his children, that you would walk worthy of God. There's the challenge. That you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and his glory. The word worthy means that you would walk or live, that you would live a life that is befitting the God, the king, who called you into his kingdom. That's the challenge. I could ask it this way. If you're in the kingdom, if you've been called into the kingdom of light, why is there so much shadow in your life? If God has called you into his kingdom of perfect light, why are you living with such darkness? If God has called you to light, why are there so many secrets in your life, hidden things? If you have been called into the kingdom of holiness, then why is there so much unholiness in our lives? If we've been called into the kingdom of truth, why is there so much dishonesty in our lives? Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, he says, here's your challenge. You've been called out of all of that to live in this kingdom Now, what I want you to do in the kingdom is live a life that befits the kingdom. Live a life that looks like a life that would be lived within the kingdom. Here's a simple principle. I hope you'll walk out of here with it. It is that our call into the kingdom should transform our conduct in the world. It should. It should. If I've been called out of darkness to light, my life ought to reflect some light. If I've been called from unholiness to holiness, my life ought to reflect some holiness. If I've been called out of a kingdom of hatred and variance and jealousy and wrath into a kingdom of love, well, my life ought to reflect some peace and some love. So the challenge is is that we would live this life befitting of the kingdom. Now, Paul says, you're not alone in this. In fact, he says in verse number 11, I'm here with you. I'm helping you. Look at it, verse 11. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged Every one of you, as a father does his children. He says in verse number 12 that he exhorted them. The word, interestingly, the word exhort 
is, is part of the word kaleo, to come. That's part of it, but the other, it's a combination. The other part of the word is para, para kaleo. It means to come alongside. So here's what Paul said. You should live a life that befits the king and the kingdom, but I'm not telling you to go do it on your own. Come on and walk with me. Come alongside. I'm encouraging or I'm exhorting you to come and walk with me in it. He modeled for them how to live this life that would be worthy, as he says in verse 12, worthy of God. Number two, he says he comforted them. The word comfort just means to advise or to teach. Here's a word, disciple. He discipled them on how to do it. He taught them how to do it. Number three, he says we exhorted, we comforted, and we charged you. The word charge means insist. We weren't playing. We said to you, you're in a different kingdom now. Live a life worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom. Paul was, Paul was a father figure to these believers in Thessalonica. And like a good father, he modeled for them the life that would, would be worthy of the God who called them. He taught them how to do it. Watch, he modeled, he showed them. He taught them, he told them. He insisted, he demanded that that be the kind of life that they would live. Look at what verse 11 says. We did this as a father does his children. Paul says this is what a daddy does. He models for his kids. He instructs his kids. He insists that his kids live the way they ought to live. That's what a father does. Now, it just so happens to be Father's Day today. And I want to say to all of you dads in the room, granddads, that this is your greatest privilege and your deepest responsibility in life is to model and teach and insist upon your children and your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, those people looking to you, that you would show them, teach them, and insist upon them that they would live a life worthy of the king if they say that they are a follower of Christ. This is what you and I as dads get to do. And gentlemen, we have no greater responsibility. But let me say plainly, and I say this with all the love in my heart, and you know I love you, but we have to be honest. Too often, too many of us who are dads are not modeling for our kids how to walk with Jesus. We teach them everything about other things without teaching them how to walk with Jesus. And our own devotion is so limited that we cannot model for them what devotion looks like and we fail to insist upon them that we are going to live a life and have a family in a way that honors the king who has called us into his kingdom. So gentlemen, could there be a better day in your life to decide that I am going to be the kind of dad who will model in conduct, who will model and teach devotion and commitment and worship and a commitment to the word, that I will model that for my children. And while they must make their own decision about the kingdom in which they will live, they will be able to say that my dad lived in the kingdom and he showed me how to do the same. It is our great privilege. Paul says, I did this with you as a father does with his children. Now the last thing that I want to say to you of this passage comes from verse number 13 where Paul then 
shows us how to do this. Remember, he says, you've been called into this kingdom, and in this kingdom, you ought to walk worthy of the God who called you into it. But, but he doesn't just say, live this worthy life without telling them how it can happen. <laughs> that wouldn't be very encouraging, would it? I mean, what if my sermon today was basically, look, serve God. Go home. <laughs> Get to it. He said, well, that's not very, very helpful. I know I ought to live a life that honors God, but how do I do it? Paul says, I want to show you how to do it. In fact, he says, because this is your purpose, he says, I want you to know that the word of God meets this challenge. Because this challenge to live a life worthy of the God who called you, because that's your purpose in life, I want you to know how you can do it. And the word of God will meet the challenge. Notice, he says in verse number 13, for this cause... That is because he has called you to walk worthy of the God who has called you to his kingdom and glory. Because that's your purpose, I thank God for you without ceasing. And here's what I thank God for about you. That when you heard the word of God, you received it. So here's what I want you to know. If y'all are listening, shout amen. You should know that in these days, as we near the coming of the Lord, that the more and more you live a life that honors the Lord, a life worthy of the King who has called you, the more and more scrutinized you will become, the more and more canceled you may be, the more and more persecution you may suffer, the more sideways people will look at you and say, really, are you that, are you that old-fashioned? Are you that much of a dinosaur? You believe that book? You build your life upon that book. They're going to look at you more and more sideways. And if you are going to be able to live in this world, in the kingdom, to the glory of God who has called you, listen, you cannot do it without this book. You cannot do it if this book is not a vital part of your spiritual life. So you need to do three things. Number one, write them down. Number one, receive it. Receive it. The word receive it, he says it in verse number 13. When you heard the word, you received it. It means to take it along with you. This is not a Sunday book. It's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday book. It's not a book I carry to church and I sit it down after the sermon and I think no more about the word until next Sunday. It is a, it is a truth that I put into my life as I read it, as I memorize it, as I listen to it, as I, as I have devotion time. As I'm feeding on the word every day, you cannot live a life worthy of God unless you're receiving it. Number two, believe it. So I believe it. Of course I believe it. No, I mean really believe it. He says that when you received it, you believed it. You took it as the word of God and you believed it. Now here's what I mean by believe it. There are plenty of Christians who have believed the gospel, but they don't believe enough, the word enough to do what it says every time. If God says to you in this book, do this, do it. If you read this word and he says, stop that, stop it. If he says to you, trust me in this thing, trust him. Believe it. And here's why that matters. Because you don't have a life that honors God out of sheer will. You have it by the power of the word in your life, being active in your life. So when you take the word, I receive it, and then you take faith, I believe it, and you bring these two things together in your heart, it's like when you were in science class and your teacher would give you a a, a beaker 
and, and you would take uh, one element, you know, maybe a, a sulfuric acid, and then you would take some sugar or soda or some other ingredient, and you would pour those two things together in the same beaker, and it would create this, this um, uh, reaction. Well, this is what happens with the Word of God. When I receive it, that is, it's in my life because I'm reading it, memorizing it, studying it, I'm in it, and then I begin to believe it, something begins to happen in me by the power of the Holy Spirit so that it becomes, he says in verse number 13, effectively working. It begins to work, so let it work in you. And as it works in you, then it will produce a life. Even in the pressure of these last days that we've been talking about, it will produce a life that will be worthy of the God who called you out of darkness and into light. Do you understand? Have you answered the call? If you haven't, I hope you will. And if you have, I hope you will receive and believe the word and begin to live this life that pleases him. I hope that for everybody, but I especially hope it for dads on this day.